Well, growing up as a kid, um, you know, one of your favorite things as a child is the weekend, right? Time off school was always um, amazing. Now, if, uh, if we're honest, some of us here, we really just kind of bear, bear with it and get through Monday to Friday so we can get to the weekend still as adults, right? That's probably true for some of you here. Now, what's the best part of your weekend? Coming to church, okay, anybody else? Let's be honest now, we are in church. What do you look forward to? <laughs> what is it? Oh, Sunday, all right, there we go, all right. Nobody's willing to tell us what you really did all weekend, all right, just kidding. <laughs> What's that? Eating out, all right. We have lots of things that we look forward to on the weekend. The weekends really are amazing. They are a gift from God, it feels like. And uh, unfortunately, you usurped me and you got to uh, spending time at church first. But, uh, you know, if we're honest, we also just really enjoy spending time with our family, maybe sleeping in, not the regular routine of going through the process, right? Watching Hudson and Rex on TV, that's a TV show if you don't know, that was, right Colette? Yep. And uh, other things like that. We enjoy these things. But you're right, we, we should enjoy spending time together as brothers and sisters in Christ, looking forward to coming to church, joining together in worship and celebration and sharing our resources. Now, uh, back in my college days, I once dated a girl whose parents had very, very strict rules about the Sabbath, okay? Not just like kind of rules, but very strict rules about the Sabbath. And so when I wanted to, the few times that I went to her cottage, I would be under their house, and I needed to follow the rules that they had for the Sabbath. Now, for them, they weren't difficult. Um, it's just kind of what they had always done. But summertime was fun time, especially on the weekends, right? And we were only there Friday night, get up late, and then you were there Saturday and Sunday. But Sundays were a day for church, which we agree with. You're all here. You're on board with that. And that was it. No cards, no games, like no cards ever, I think. And I know some of us, maybe that's how we grew up as well. Um, and maybe some of us in here actually still think that. No board games. I don't know if we were allowed to swim in the lake. Definitely not uh, water skiing behind the boat, because this is the summertime. I know that sounds luxurious right now. Um, you know, you weren't allowed to eat out. So for anybody in here who is over 50 and their Sundays have always involved going to Swiss Chalet, um, also known as Christian Chicken, sorry that was before Chick-fil-A, uh, here in Canada, and uh, that was not allowed either, okay? These are all things that were not allowed. Now that was a challenge because what that meant is I'm trying to fit into the family, I'm also trying to make a good impression, which means I essentially have one day, Saturday, to do everything that I need to do on a weekend, including trying to impress this man. So I had to help out around the place, you know, pick weeds, do all that kind of stuff, which left me with just half the day to kind of enjoy everything. Now, if I'm honest, it wasn't that terrible, okay? Like, at the end of the weekend, I left and I didn't keep following those rules the next weekend for him. I don't think they were just rules. He was, you know, a little bit, they were a little bit legalistic in the way that they did them. But, you know, as I learned from him, and the reason why is uh, he actually at one point 
he worked for a big retail company, and uh, when I think shops were opening up maybe 40 years ago on Sundays, he was set, told that he needed to work on Sunday. And he said, I don't work on Sunday. And they said, come on, you work on Sunday. Don't you go out for dinner after church every Sunday? And he said, no, I don't. And they said, well, okay then. Then you don't have to work on Sunday. And uh, so, you know, it kind of worked out for him that his, uh, his convictions kind of worked out, and he kept holding those convictions uh, all the way through. Now, as we're here today, we are not just talking about enjoying our weekend, okay? That's not what this passage is about, if you want to know where we're going. Not at all. What we're talking about and what we saw in this passage today is the length that people, Judaizers, so Judaizers would go, and that is followers of Jesus who are Jewish people. So Jewish converts who are conservative that would add on to the gospel and to the lengths that they would go to say, okay, well, you Gentiles, that's non-Jews, you've believed in God. You've come to him by grace through faith in Jesus, but you got to do a few more things. It's not enough to just enjoy Jesus. We're going to add some stuff to that. And what we're going to add is circumcision, uh, as what it talks about here, and the law of Moses. Essentially, they're saying, sure, you uh, non-Jews can become uh, followers of Jesus. You just have to follow everything that a Jewish person would. You just have to become a Jew. And so, you know, we're not talking about enjoying the weekend and maybe one Saturday, you know, not doing some of the things that I normally feel comfortable doing that they didn't feel doing. We're talking about very important things, all right? Really the most important thing. And the most important thing is, what is our standing before God and how is that determined? How, how, how is our standing before God determined? Is it based on what we do? Is it based on doing the right things either before we come to him or after we come to him. And what we're going to see clearly in this passage, not just by one person, but by many people, as the early church was formed, because as we're going through the book of Acts, that's what it's about. It's the formation of the early church and laying the foundations of the doctrine and the practices that we as a church still believe and still follow. And so what we're going to see that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus. And that's it. That's what we're going to see in this passage today. And if some of you already, many of us already believe that and know that, but as we go through this, I want us to be reminded that sometimes we even have this tendency to, as maybe you call it, front load the gospel, saying you need to change certain things about yourself before you can come to God. Now, one of the things that I like about this church is that we don't have a lot, like every church has its own little rules and things like that, or kind of customs or things that are normal, but for us as a church, um, you know, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance. You can come just as you are, right? We don't talk about clothes, really. We just require that you wear them, and that's about it. I guess we have a sign that says no dogs. That's one of our things. Um, we just, just come as you are to church, and if you don't know that, please pass that around and start saying that, okay? Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, they can come just as they are. There is no, you have to clean up. You have to wear a certain, uh, a certain piece of clothing or anything like that. You come as you are how you're comfortable. Some of you are comfortable in jeans. Some of you are comfortable and want to dress up a little bit, and that's great. And some of you are like, why are we even talking about this? 
<laughs> the point is, you get to come to Jesus. There is no requirements before. If the gospel requires things such as, you know, I would like you to stop doing X, Y, and Z before you come to him. You know, you need to memorize certain passages of scripture. You need to give certain amounts of money. You need to stop certain behaviors like smoking. You need to do all these things. Then you can come to God. Then you can receive salvation. Then you can have right standing before God. If there are things that we require before, that's not the gospel. Because what we're going to see in here, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith in Jesus, and that alone. And so, that's the most important thing that we are going to see in here. Now, chapter 15, you can turn with me in your Bibles. Pastor Steve read that earlier, and uh, it's on page 896. If you don't have your uh, Bible and you're just using the Pew Bible in front of you, you can grab one of those, and you can follow along, because we like to follow along. Now, we're in Acts chapter 15, Paul has just concluded his first missionary journey, okay? So uh, we don't have a projector, so we don't have a map, but you will see that he went all the way around, right, and up, and then he came back visiting the churches, and now he is back, skipped over uh, the island, and now he's back in Antioch. If you remember, in verse 1, Antioch is the center now of, the, of Christianity for the Gentiles, Jerusalem was the center through the, the book of Acts, and now it's going to change, and it still is, really, Jerusalem is still the center, but now the activity of going out to the Gentile nations, everybody that's non-Jew, all happens around Antioch. And so Paul and Barnabas have returned to Antioch. They are here, and now it says, uh, as they've returned, they're going to tell about all the amazing things that have happened in their first missionary journey that lasted anywhere from four months to ten months. We don't know exactly how long it lasted. And this is what it says. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. So Judea, they came down from the region, from Jerusalem, kind of associated with the Jerusalem church, to Antioch, and were teaching the believers. Now, because they came from Jerusalem, from the area of Judea, people would have thought, like, if I go and speak at another church, They'd go, hey, that guy's from Ford Baptist Church. And if I start saying weird things, they're going to think that that's what we teach here. And so these guys are coming down, and they're teaching things. Kind of with the authority, people are like, what? what's going on here? What are these things that they're teaching? The other thing that you'll notice uh, on my map up here, right, uh, is that it says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Well, Jerusalem is actually lower in Judea, and Antioch is up. But the way that everything is situated, because Jerusalem is kind of the center, you always go um, up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem, okay? So Jerusalem is always like, it's kind of like Toronto for Canada. We think we're the center of Canada, right? Be right? Yeah? Everybody comes to us, we're the center. And uh, so that's how it was in Jerusalem. Everybody goes up and down. And so these teachers, they go there, and this is simply what they're going to teach. They say, this is the main sticking point in this whole passage, is this. This is the main issue, is unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And that's what they were teaching. And this was spreading. And this is right after the first missionary journey. And I think what was happening was, as the Jewish people saw that, you know, Peter, he uh, led a, a, a Gentile to Christ and all these different things were going on, 
they were kind of like, ah, a few here and there, Gentiles coming to, coming to Jesus, that's okay. Like, that's going to be fine. But now this is happening like throughout the whole region, and they're like, this is trouble. Like, you can let one or two things slide, but now they're like, no, 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 we got we to, gotta, what's going on here? We got to figure this out. And so that's what they're going to say to them. They're going to tell them that you need to be circumcised. So it's grace plus circumcision is all that you need, is what they're going to say. And so, verse 2 says, this Paul brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas are on the same side on this, which is uh, excellent, and we'll see later on as we get down in the passage that uh, at one point, Barnabas kind of stumbled uh, with this, and uh, so here they're on the same page. And they're in sharp dispute, and they're debating with them. Now, I think as we go through this passage, and the main point of what we're talking about is that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith in Jesus, that we're going to try to deal with this passage in a gracious way. Because what we're going to see is how they resolve this is very graciously. And some of the final things in verses 19, or 20 and 21 are also just gracious um, concessions that they're putting forward so that... They can share fellowship with each other. That's what they're seeking to do. So as it goes through, they're in debate with each other. And, and so what happened was, um, Paul and Barnabas, it says in the second part of verse 2, were appointed along with some others to go up to Jerusalem, which is really down to Jerusalem, about 400 kilometers, to see the apostles and the elders that are there. They're going to resolve this. There's some structures in place. They're going to bring these theological matters, the most important theological matters of how does salvation happen? What is that? How does it occur? And this is important for us, too. And so they make that travel. The sending out of them, it says in verse 3, the church sent them on their way, kind of reminds us of the uh, sending on the way that happened in uh, chapter 13 when they were sent out in their first missionary journey. So here the church at Antioch is sending Paul, Barnabas, and some others down to Jerusalem to discuss these matters. And here's what it says. It says, as they're traveling south down to Jerusalem, the 400 kilometers, they're traveling through the provinces of Phoenicia and Samaria. And as they're traveling through the provinces of Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So they're not just going down there, hanging their head, being like, oh, is this over? They're just going, doing everything that they've regularly done, like we've seen since the beginning of Acts, right? When persecution came in the book of Acts, People fled, and they ran for their lives, and in doing that, they didn't go out as evangelists, we said. They just went out telling about what Jesus had done, and the gospel was just spreading that way. So they're just, this is the most important thing to them. If you did something this weekend that was exciting to you, you're going to talk about that. For them, this consumed their life, as it should ours. We should be talking about it. So they're going through, and they're just like, hey, we've got to travel some more. Let's tell about what God is doing. And so the... uh, the provinces and the people in Phoenicia and Samaria were happy to hear about this, especially Samaritans who had been kind of pushed off to the side, who had been not allowed this religious freedom and this religious experience that has been there uh, for the, the Jews this whole time. And so it says, this news made all the believers very happy. And you know, as I go through, I just stop right there and I just say, this is the right response as you read this, as you read scripture. If you hear of many people or anybody coming to know the Lord, this is the response that we should have, that this should make us glad. 
It should make us, and if you don't know that, this is the reminder. When you hear people coming from, because we believe they've come from death to life, that this should make us glad. It reminds us that Jesus is alive. Jesus is active. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. When we hear that people have come to know him, have come to follow him, and by faith trust in Jesus and what he did, we don't go, yeah, the best of the best came in. We say it was by grace through faith in Jesus that they are saved. Now, this is the right response. Now, for you, we might look around and go, everybody here has been a Christian for, uh, for as long as I can know, right? All of you. You probably look around and go, that must be true. Well, let me just ask, who in here has come to know Christ as their personal Savior and start to walk with him this last year, let's say? Anybody in the last year? Okay. Anybody in the last two years? Raise your hand. You can keep raising your hand. Anybody in the last three years? Okay. And the last four years? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Oh, yeah. Five years, all right, six years, all right, that's good, and 10 years, anything in the last 10 years that you've come to follow Jesus, all right, so this should make you glad. If you're looking around, there's at least two handfuls of people and, uh, in here, and that should make us glad that God is still working just in this small little group of people, that it's not a whole group of people that have just been here forever and eons. God is still working, and he should still be working in your life today. And the reminder is that his grace is sufficient, that you, you were saved by grace. As we continue on here, it says in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles. As I said before, we're talking about grace, right? They're welcomed. They're not like, ooh, here's Paul and Barnabas. They're coming down to cause some dissension and rough things up. No, it just says they were welcomed by the church, they're trying to resolve this, right? This is an important matter. And so they welcome them in. They hear the stories, it says. They reported on everything that God had done through them. Now, that's going to be important as we get into not just um, grace disputed in the first five verses, but as this grace is defended as it goes through, what we're going to see is that God is the main moving factor in all of this. That's the point of the grace, right? And so as they're even sharing in Jerusalem, they say this is all the things that God has done through them. As it continues on, they're sharing these things, and who pipes up? Now, I want to be gracious as well, because you could say, in verse 5 it says this, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, you could go, yeah, of course the Pharisees stood up and said this. They're Pharisees. They love the rules. Man, I love rules too. It's terrible. Um, but rules help us. And here are these Pharisees. Now, it says before that, though, that some of the believers who belonged to the Pharisees. So this is why they're being gracious with them. Because they're Pharisees, but they know Jesus. They love Jesus, right? And so they want to be gracious with them. Because well, we'll see down here, who needs the yoke that, that the Jewish people couldn't carry, right? Any of us, if our wrong beliefs continue to weigh us down, that's not to our benefit to beat somebody up over that. You need the freedom of being released from that, to know the truth of this, that you are saved through faith in Jesus alone, right? Not do all these things and then you're saved. Not get saved and then do all of these things. And we're going to get into that as it goes along. And so they stood up and they said, they add into this part, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. That's what's going on. So as we get into the next section of verses uh, 6 to 19, 
We're going to have grace defended. There's going to be three groups of people that kind of stand up and give the defense. We don't have the other side all over here, all, it, uh, all the discussion. All it says is that in verse 6, it says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question, okay? They're meeting, they're discussing these things, and after much discussion, this wasn't a one-person show, both sides got to talk, they got to talk for a very long time, but there are structures in place, and the first person to talk was Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, that kind of makes sense that Peter got up first because he was allowed to go. But Peter also uh, was representing the apostles at this time, and Peter got up, and uh, this is going to be kind of the last time that Peter shows up in the book of Acts. After this, he kind of gives his endorsement to the Gentiles and fades away in the book of Acts. And then it's full force, full go-ahead for the Gentile mission. And so Peter is going to stand up. He's going to talk about these things. And as he's here, what's really happening in this discussion, as I've said before, is at this Jerusalem council, sometimes it's called, um, they're just going to kind of get everybody on the same page of what God has already been doing. Of what God has already been doing, they're going to look back and go, oh yeah, God already did this. He already welcomed them in. God's already been moving in this way. Let's all get on the same page to where God wants grace and salvation to be. Now that's a hard thing, right? To get on the same page of what God is already doing. Because sometimes we have our own ways. We say, I've already done it this way. Oh, I've already... I thought it was done this way, or I thought this. Well, what is God doing? What is God revealed in Scripture? Get on side with that and move forward. Oftentimes, we're a little bit behind on those things. So, here they're coming in verse 7, and it says, After much discussion, Peter got up, and he was the first one to speak. And he's going to say these four things. Now, Peter's going to speak, and one of the interesting things, depending on, um, we're not going to get into this too much, but I'll just say this. One of the interesting things in Acts as well now is that you will be able to start, and we'll probably point it out sometimes, that Paul's first missionary journey has happened. Now he's going to get into his next missionary journeys, which you're going to see in the book of Acts go through where the other books of the New Testament kind of fit in. Because as Paul is traveling, he's writing letters to address different issues. So in the timeline, which you know, experts have nailed down as best as they could. They would say that Galatians, the book of Galatians, which you've probably heard of in the New Testament, was written kind of just before um, this chapter 15, okay? After the missionary journey, just before chapter 15. And so in there, Paul at one point actually confronts Peter publicly in Galatians chapter 2, I only say this uh, very briefly. We don't want to get sidetracked by this. But in Galatians chapter 2, Paul goes and he says to Peter, he says this. When I... Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul writing. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles... But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to uh, Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So, 
um, I, looking at what people think that this uh, occurrence that I just read in Galatians chapter 2 is a separate occurrence from this, um, Paul confronts Peter publicly because he's teaching this. His life isn't lining up. And so I just say that because what's interesting is there's not a lot of uh, uh, pride in Peter at this point. Peter could dig in his heels and go, oh yeah, Barnabas and Paul are coming down. I remember last time I saw them, he, tried, he put me in my place, right? He put me in my place, embarrassed me in front of people. But that's not how it works, right? As brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see somebody going astray that aren't following Scripture, what we're supposed to do is gently come alongside them. Or uh, Peter was... Um, a teacher, and he was leading people, so it had to be uh, a little bit more public, but I still believe that he did it gently enough. And he did that so that he would be corrected. And so Peter did not stand up and cause a big fuss and uh, try to go against Paul and Barnabas or this situation. He received that correction. The Holy Spirit, which is going to come in here because that's really the, the, the key to all of this, the Holy Spirit convicted him and he changed his mind. And so here Peter talking is also Peter just humbly coming before, allowing Scripture to speak, allowing his, ex- his experience with God to shape um, his, his input here and not being corrected. So he's grown. This is an important thing where we correct each other. We allow Scripture to correct our actions and other brothers and sisters to speak gently in our life, and then we change. And this is for the betterment of all of us as we grow in holiness. So that happened. So here's Peter. He's getting up, and he says this. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That's Acts chapter 10. We're not going to rehash it because... We only have so much time. Second, verse 8, he says, God, so he says, God made a choice among the Gentiles. Second thing, he says this, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. Now, how did he show that he accepted them? This is an important part as we talk about, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus. He showed that he accepted them by giving his Holy Spirit. Okay? That's the key. You can say you believe has the Holy Spirit been given? Because that's what it says here. It says, God who knows the heart, God is the only one that knows the heart when you confess, when you say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Anybody can say that, right? The Bible, the James, who was going to speak soon, says the devil knows that Jesus is real, knows he's a real person, but believes. God knows the heart that He accepted them, but God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. The Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us. It's through the Holy Spirit that we continue to walk our Christian life and live our Christian life, not in our own power or in our own strength, because we don't have it, right? We don't have the strength on our own. The Holy Spirit, which is given to us, is what allows us this. It's the Holy Spirit in us and through us. This, God knows our heart when we do that and gives us the gift of the Spirit, our counselor, to live in us, guide us, and direct us. And it says, just as he did. Then in verse 9, it says this, He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. He didn't discriminate. He didn't say, here is a Jew, here is a Gentile, not going to do it. And now he says in verse 10, 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the next of Gentiles a yoke neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? And so Peter's decision here and his comments as I think representing the apostles, he just says, you know what? God didn't discriminate. Why are we putting these, uh, why are we making them do something that we couldn't even bear? No, we believe it says in verse 11 that it is through grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We are saved, he says. This is what Peter says. He's sitting there. We are saved just as they are. Not they're saved just as we are. He's saying, guys, the question is not whether or not they're saved. They're saved. We're saved the same way they're saved. And so that's what he says here. And then it goes on. The whole assembly, and so that was Peter's kind of declaration. He's giving his affirmation that we are saved by grace through faith uh, in our Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit confirms that. The next part, and the next person that's going to speak in verse uh, 12, as they're kind of defending grace, is Paul and Barnabas. Um, Now, it doesn't, I'll just quickly say, Barnabas is mentioned first. He gets the first opportunity to speak. Again, just graciousness here. Paul is actually the usual speaker. We noticed that back a few chapters ago. But here in this situation, Paul's just like, Barnabas can speak. And we say that that's just showing, again, humility in this grace. And so Barnabas shares. And what happens? Verse 12, the whole assembly becomes silent as they listened to Paul and Barnabas tell about the signs and the wonders among the Gentiles. <laughs> you know, if all of those people that raised their hand came up here and we just stopped and we just shared testimonies for the next little bit, I'm pretty sure we would all just be silent. You would all be silent of the things and the amazing miracles that God has done in the people's lives just in the last 10 years here. That's without what God is currently doing in your life, what he has done in your life this weekend and this week and in this month, right? God continues to do amazing wonders and miracles. He continues to do amazing things. And it should just cause us to be silent, to wow at how God has moved. And so as Paul and Barnabas are sharing these things, we read about some of them in Acts uh, he just points, they point out that there's these signs and wonders God has done, which just means that God, that it's received God's approval because of these signs and wonders. And so finally, it's going to finish up with James. Now, James here is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, which likely has already, has already been written at this time. He would have likely wrote this before um, this took place. And so James here, half-brother of Jesus, is going to share. If you remember, James didn't believe Jesus at first until he received um, an appearance from Jesus. And then he becomes a pillar of the church in Jerusalem, um, just caring for that church, holding fast, praying for them. He was very, very important to the uh, early church. He was stoned to death in 62 before the temple came down, um, but just key. And so James stands up kind of representing the uh, elders in Jerusalem, and this is what he says. James spoke up. Brothers, he says, listen to me. Simon, who is Peter, has described to us how God, not us, intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. (laughs) This is uh, pretty big. He's saying, if you remember, the, the Jewish people were his chosen people, right? And so now Peter is saying, God has first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. God is choosing them 
for his name among these people. And now what, what, uh, what, what James is going to add to the discussion is instead of just going to experience and things, he's going to look at Scripture. And he says this in verse 15, the words of the prophet are in agreement with what God has already been doing. Okay, He's saying, what you see, what the words of the prophets, so not just one, he's going to quote one, but he could have quoted many different passages that I could list off here. Um, but the prophets agree with what God has already been doing. As it is written, this is what it says in 16, 17, 18. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Okay? Jesus is in the line of David. This is him, his Mesonaic people. They are going to be rebuilt in Jesus' death, his resurrection, his return, and his ascension. David's fallen tent is being rebuilt. It's ruins I I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so that is um, James's final verdict. He says, look, this is what the prophets say, and we're going to, I think, get into some of this maybe. Uh, Well, actually, we won't get into this next week. We'll get into the next parts a little bit more next week. But he says, don't make it difficult for them. Don't make it difficult at all to earn the salvation that is there. As it goes in, it kind of looks at the last two verses because we're running out of time here. Um, In verse 20 and 21, the next things that are shared are not not things of salvation. They're things that are shared that James says, here are some things that you need to follow so you can live peacefully with one another. So that you can share fellowship together. We have fellowship meals, not yet, but when we do, that's an important part. If you're a Baptist and you've gone to Baptist, like food is an important part. And in the early church, food was an important part. How are Jews and Gentiles going to share food together when some may do certain uh, food rituals that others do not, that think are unclean? How do we live in harmony? And so some of these rules or Um, suggestions were put in place that, hey, if you're in a place where there are Jewish people, would you consider doing this so that you can live at peace with each other, so that you could show the grace that's been extended to you in other ways? This is not part of your salvation. It's not what he's saying here. How do you be considerate and kind to others? We're called to do this too, right? Some of us. When we gather together, you know, if I know some of you guys, let's say, don't eat meat, and I call you over for a great barbecue, I better offer you a vegetarian option, right? Or else I'm not considering you. I'm not considering what you do. So we need to consider each other. And so these are considerations that were made. Um, we're not going to go through them too much. Some have even said that all of these considerations are not like new laws, but they were actually things that were suggested in Leviticus uh, 17 and 18 that all Jewish people had to follow and foreigners among them. So it's kind of just something that was there uh, ongoing. That these were just principles so they could get together. There was also this concern that this was part of temple worship and idol worship. We've already kind of seen. And they didn't want this coming into this new, this new freedom that they have as Gentiles worshiping uh, God, they didn't want to, them to bring in some of these uh, practices. And so that was also one of the reasons why they kind of shared this. Now, you know, as we look at all of these things, I think the highlight as we see is this, is that 
We do not want to make it hard, it says, for the Gentiles turning to God. And for us, we're kind of on, we're okay with this. We understand that. We see that. We don't want to do that. But we still have a tendency to make it the gospel or grace plus something. Often works or doing something, right? And the challenge is that we need to remember not to front load the gospel with things, not to back load the gospel, but to understand the right way, that we have the Holy Spirit that's been given to us through the grace of our Lord Jesus. And He, the Holy Spirit, guides us in paths of righteousness so that we can follow Him, so that we can grow, right? And we can continue to grow. Oftentimes, I don't think we're amazed enough by this that He has figured out enough that He accepts us in our sinfulness, right? He accepts us just as we are. But as you know, he doesn't want to keep us that way. He has this plan. He has this purpose. Now, we have this tendency as we're going through to think, okay, well, he loves me. And, you know, I think even as Christians, even if we don't backload the gospel saying you have to do certain things, there's this point where we try really hard to read scripture. We do all these things. But at some point in our life, we're going to realize, wait, well, we're going we're gonna to sin. We're all going to keep sinning. And we're going to go, man, am I saved? Like, why do I keep on sinning? I have the Holy Spirit in me. What's going on? I thought if I just did these things. And at some point, we're going to realize, wait a second. I need to go back to remember that it is by grace through faith in Jesus that I have been saved. And that it is the Holy Spirit in us that shows that God has accepted us and doesn't keep us that way and continues to work on us. God knows who you are. He doesn't expect you to become perfect right away. He doesn't expect you to give in to sin either. He expects you to, as if you read through Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. And as you keep in step with the Spirit, God knows your beginning and end. He who began a good work in you is going to carry it out into completion on his timeline. You're going to discover that as you go through, and you're going to discover the depths of the riches of his forgiveness in your life. And you're going to go there, and you're going to be amazed. That's forgiven too. That's forgiven too that he still loves me, he still accepts me, that his Holy Spirit is still guiding me and growing me to say no to certain things. This is the amazing part. To plumb the depths of the grace of God in your life. Now, we have a really big building here. It's like 30,000 square feet. Uh, If you're relatively new here, maybe you haven't walked around all parts of it. It's pretty easy to get lost. It's pretty easy to lose children. It's pretty easy to lose yourself here. And, uh, but you know, We've got hallways and back stairways and, you know, you'll realize as you walk through there's no men's bathroom on the main level. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, you'll find that we've got a library, we've got a gym downstairs, we've got a bowling alley, a swimming pool. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Those last two aren't true. And, uh, but what you'll discover is the depths of this building. And that's like the Christian life and an understanding this grace that you have been saved. You don't work to receive it. You follow the Holy Spirit in your life, right? Now, we are uh, pretty much out of time. And uh, as you go through, one of the things that I was thinking about this um, is that when, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever uh, kind of gone through, I'm trying to skip through here. Sorry, guys. I'm going to find a place where I can wrap up. Um, You know, here's the truth. Jesus began a good work in you. He's going to carry it out into completion. 
And uh, if you've ever started a restoration project, I think some of you guys have fixed up, fixed up cars before, old cars or new cars. If you've ever refinished a piece of furniture, if you've ever taken an old garden and tried to bring it back to life, if you've ever um, kind of started any kind of house project or home renovation, you know that as you start peeling back the layers of everything, most of the time, what happens is you come to a few realizations it's going to be a lot more costly than uh, you thought when you started. It's going to take a lot more time than you started, uh, than you thought when you started. The expectations are different. Maybe you're going to modify your original plans. Maybe you're actually going to quit halfway through and you're going to see, you know, what am I doing here in this renovation? I think part of what I want us to walk away with and remember is this. We don't need to backload the gospel. We don't need to add on these things. And here's the thing. As we look at this, God didn't look at you when he said yes, when by faith through your grace, by grace through faith in Jesus, you said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you. He didn't go partway through. He's not going to get halfway through your life and go, ooh, this is a bigger project than I thought. That sin is deeper than I thought. It's worse than I thought. The cost hasn't been paid. This, oh, maybe I'm just going to walk away from this guy. That's not how it goes. Jesus paid the price. And what the sin in our life is like, it's not like you sin and Jesus goes back up to the cross and pays for that, okay? That's not how it works. It's been paid. You have the righteousness of Jesus, his righteousness deposited fully into you on your behalf when you become a Christian, all right? Imagine showing up to your first day at a job and uh, you just show up and you're like, okay, yeah, signing all those papers, doing some training, you give them your... Uh, you know, social insurance number so you can get paid, and they just go, you know what, we decided we're just going to pay you right now for uh, your life salary, okay? Is that all right? Uh, yeah, we're going to put in all the bonuses there. But we're even going to cost for, put in some stuff for inflation. We're going to cover some, uh, yeah, yeah, we put in some money there for your uh, children's dental and all these things. And you just start, and it's like, yeah, all of it's right there. You go, what? We know that's not how it works, right? You work, you get paid every other week, maybe every week. The gospel is completely different. All of Christ's righteousness is deposited in your account on your behalf the day you become a follower of Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith in Jesus. It's all deposited. You don't earn it. This is the point, that you don't do a little bit of good and you get a little bit more grace and you do these things. It's all there. It's all available to you. And this is the joy that we have, Ephesians tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. Amen.